Morning, everyone. Oh, excuse me. Uh, my memory's not as good as yours, Will, but I, I do remember what I was doing four years ago minus one day, so tomorrow, four years ago. It was, I, I was very excited for that day because that's the day that uh, Avengers Infinity War was going to come out. My wife and I, we had plans, we we're going to go see Avengers Infinity War. And she had to wake me up in the middle of the night and say, Tim, I'm in labour and give birth to Sam. So it was still a pretty good day. I still, I still had a great day. Uh, it was a day that changed my life as well. Uh, I got lots of spoilers after that. No, my, my life has been full of great joy since then. Um, how about I pray and we'll jump into Acts chapter 1. Father God, thank you for your word to us today. Thank you for the way that, as Michelle has read these words written uh, almost 2,000 years ago, you have spoken to us through them today. I pray that as we uh, dig into them and explore them together, that by your spirit you'd give us understanding, you'd give us conviction, uh, you'd make us more like your son Jesus, and that you would use us, your church, to see your mission go out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, like Will has already mentioned, we, we are starting a new series this week in the book of Acts. Uh, and Acts takes place immediately after the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, so, uh, as uh, Sarah already took us through, Jesus risen from the dead. He spent a bunch of time with his disciples, uh, teaching them and things. And that's where the book of Acts picks up, as Jesus teaches the disciples immediately before he is raised into heaven. And then for the rest of the book, we see the birth of the church. We see the gospel spread out all across the Roman Empire. And this book is filled with some really quite incredible things. Jesus is only around for the first nine verses, you know, but even after Jesus goes, we see thousands of people at once coming to know Jesus on multiple occasions. We see Jesus' disciples continue ministries of miraculous signs and healings. We see men who were only weeks earlier shown to be cowards standing up in front of the rulers opposing them. There's a lot of amazing things that happen in the book of Acts. But as we arrive in Acts chapter 1, something quite unexpected for the apostles, I think, has happened. They are left alone. I imagine they're feeling quite unprepared. I imagine they're feeling like they're, they're not quite ready for what's to come next. They're so used to Jesus' leadership. They're so used to him kind of setting the agenda they're so used to him always being around, knowing what to say, knowing what to do. But now he's gone. It's kind of like being left alone uh, for the first time on a new job. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I know I have a few times. On my very first job, I worked in a Thai restaurant. And, and I, was, I was meant to be a delivery boy, uh, but I quickly found out a delivery boy plus waiter plus dishwasher, plus, you know, there's like one, one person on, the cook's in the back, and I was that one person, right? And there wasn't any kind of real formal training. It's not like Tim come in, we'll train you. It's like, just follow, Tim follows, go around for a couple of shifts, you'll pick it up from there. And I remember the first time I was left alone. It, it, was, it was one of my first shifts where I had been trained that night, but the guy who was training me had, had left a bit earlier. And I hung around for maybe about another half an hour. Just as he'd left, the phone rang. 
And I'd never answered the phone before. I'd followed him on deliveries. I'd helped him wait tables and take orders. But I hadn't been on a phone call with him because what do you do? Hey, welcome. There's other guys on the phone listening in. So I'd not done the phones before. And I didn't know what to do. I was like freaking out. I was so worried that I actually went out the back to the cooks and I was like, the phone's ringing. And they're like, okay, go answer it, Tim. I was like, oh, no, this is on me. The first time I was unattended, I just felt like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm unprepared. I don't know what to do next. I answered the phone and I don't remember them complaining too much, so it must have all gone fine. But I was left alone, unattended, unprepared. And I think that's what the disciples were feeling in Acts chapter 1. Alone, unattended and unprepared. And so the question is, Jesus has gone, now what? Now what do we do? He he hasn't just... Jesus hasn't just ditched the church and left them completely unprepared though. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus does prepare them for what is to come next. He sets them up for all the wonderful ministry that happens throughout the rest of the book of Acts. But to understand that, we need to understand these opening verses. What are they going to do for the next 27 and a half chapters? And as we look at these verses, we'll see that, yes, Jesus has prepared the disciples. But these verses also set the agenda for the entire book to come and then it tells them, all right, get to it. So that's what we're going to see today. So let's dig straight into Acts chapter 1 and the first thing we need to see is that Acts is really still about Jesus' continued ministry. Even though Jesus has gone to heaven, even though he's only around for nine verses, the entirety of the book of Acts is all about Jesus' ministry. Come with me to Acts chapter 1. It'll be really helpful for you to have your Bibles open in front of you. You'll be able to read along with me. Make sure I'm not making anything up. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Let me read the opening words to this book. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So there's a couple of things you need to see in that verse. Firstly, the author refers to a former book. So it's in my former book, in my former writings. Now that book is the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the author of Acts and he's the author of the Gospel of Luke. And he's referring back to his biography of Jesus, which ends as Jesus rose up to heaven, like he just said. And so Luke writes Acts not quite as a sequel. A sequel is a new story that tells new things. Acts is more like part two. It continues the same story. Yes, there's significant differences around, but Acts is part two of Luke's gospel. The former book, as Luke says, is all about that Jesus began to do and to teach. And so the implication there is the book of Acts is all about what Jesus continues to do and to teach. Gospel of Luke, all about what Jesus began to do. Book of Acts, all about what Jesus continues to do. The book of Acts is all about Jesus' continued ministry. But we have to understand the nature of Jesus' ministry because it changes significantly. In in Luke, Jesus has an earthly ministry. He is with people. He walked with them. He talked with them. He ate with them. He spoke with them. If he wanted to, he might have high-fived them. He was physically there 
You could see him and touch him and be with him. But Jesus' ministry throughout Acts is not earthly, but heavenly. It's a heavenly ministry done by his spirit through the church. That's how Jesus continues to act in the book of Acts. And so the book of Acts is commonly known as the Acts of the Apostles. I think a more helpful title would be the Acts of Jesus by his spirit. The book of Acts just continues the story that Luke started in his gospel. Now, Jesus' earthly ministry is really fundamentally important, right? Because it grounds our faith historically. And not simply uh, because Jesus died and rose again for us, although that is foundational and extraordinarily important to his ministry. But those things happened in history. Those things happened in time. You can go to the city where Jesus was executed. You can go uh, walk the streets and see the surrounds where Jesus died and rose again. It was a thing that happened in history. And that's really important because it means the claims of Christianity have proof to back them up. Come with me to verse 3. After his suffering, that's Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. Verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them. Jesus showed the disciples that he really was alive. Uh, Primarily, he appeared to them and talked to them and showed them his wounds and he ate with them. Ghosts don't eat, zombies don't eat, well, they eat brains, but they don't eat fish and bread and, and food like you and me. Jesus showed himself to be alive. He provided proof to his resurrection, proof that we continue to have today. Because these claims are historical claims that we can verify. They aren't vague like visions or dreams, although the Bible does contain those. They're not ideas or philosophies, although the Bible does contain those too. At the centre is a specific, verifiable claim about history. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? And all this means that Because at the centre of Christianity is a claim about a person, Christianity is about that person. It's about a relationship with that person. Our faith is a relationship. It's not a bunch of commands to obey. It's not a path to follow. It's not a mystical spirituality. It's a person to know and to love and to relate to. And that person isn't dead. He's alive in heaven a claim about which we can have historic confidence in because Jesus provided proof to it. Now, if you'd like to investigate that evidence further, I'm aware that I haven't given you a whole lot, right? If you want to investigate that further, that's great. We're so glad that you're here joining us, looking into these things. We do believe there is convincing proof. You can come chat to me afterwards or or speak to someone here who you know. And we'd love to help you on your journey as you discover the proof and make up your own mind about it. But moving on, as we arrive in Acts chapter 1, the nature of Jesus' ministry fundamentally shifts. He's not here on this earth anymore. He's taken up to heaven. What is he doing in heaven? What is the nature of his ministry now? What's he trying to achieve now? Well, he taught for 40 days after his resurrection about the kingdom 
of God. That's what it says he does in verse 3. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. He taught about the kingdom of God because that's the thing he is now on about building. And in verse 5 he says, in only a few days, just wait a few days and you'll have my spirit who will empower you to build the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus' heavenly ministry is about bringing the kingdom of God by the power of the Spirit through his church. That is, Jesus in heaven is building the kingdom through his followers who have been given the Spirit, enabling them to do his work here on earth. Now, that is what we're going to see throughout the entire book of Acts. Jesus building his kingdom by the Spirit through the church. That's what the book of Acts is all about. Jesus bringing his kingdom by the power of the Spirit through the church. Now, as we continue through this passage, uh, there seems to be mismatched expectations about what that kingdom is. The disciples ask a question about the kingdom after Jesus has been teaching about it. Except they say something a little bit funny. They say something a little bit weird that they're obviously really excited for the kingdom to come. But when they ask the question, they they show us that they haven't quite understood it. Come with me to verse 6. Then they gathered around him, that is Jesus in the centre and the disciples around him, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now they were thinking about a national territorial kingdom. A kingdom that, if you had a map, you could point to it and say, see this border and outline? That's the kingdom of God. They're thinking God is going to make a territory on earth that will be the kingdom of God. And And the reason why is that these men and women have grown up under the oppression of an invading force. Rome has uh, conquered Israel and has been in charge and in control of their territory for a number of years. And before that, it was a number of other kingdoms. They haven't had freedom in their own land for a long time. But they knew the promises of God, that he would bring his kingdom. And as we saw in Isaiah chapter 2, it talks about that kingdom being in Jerusalem and in Judea. And, And so they're thinking the kingdom of God is coming great. God's going to restore national Israel. Israel is going to become, uh, is going to live up to its former glory. In fact, it's going to be bigger than its former glory. You're going to see it on the map. It's going to spread out. God's going to rule from Jerusalem. God's kingdom will be here on earth. Now, I'm a fan of Star Wars. And there's one point in one of the recent movies where uh, the bad guy is facing off against Luke Skywalker, the great Jedi Master, and uh, the bad guy's been just whooping the good guy's butt all over, right? He's, like, destroyed all their bases. He's destroyed their ships. Uh, th- there's not many of them left. They're hiding out in this cave thing. Uh, and, and he's about to win. But then Luke Skywalker comes and, and stops him from doing that. And the bad guy, he's, he's, like, he's furious. He goes, don't you know I've already won? I've already won the war. I've already defeated everyone. You've got no help. Nothing's going to help you. You've lost And Luke Skywalker's like, (laughs) amazing. Every word you just said is wrong. And then he goes to prove him one and wins. And the good guys win and things like that. Now, that is a bit like the question that the disciples ask here. Every word they say in that question is wrong. 
And Jesus has to correct them. He has to show them that their understanding of the kingdom is different to what they might be expecting. And so Jesus speaks to them in verse 7 and 8. He says to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is showing that their expectations about the kingdom are all wrong. Yes, the Holy Spirit will come. Yes, it'll empower them. Yes, when the Spirit comes, it's go time. The kingdom is coming when the Spirit comes. But not to defeat the Roman rulers. Not to restore the kingdom to Israel. Instead, the Spirit empowers the church to be witnesses. The Spirit empowers them to testify about Jesus. That's what the word witness means, to to speak about, to testify to. Those who know Jesus and know his story are to speak about it. And we see the Spirit do that all through the book of Acts. Just constantly, the Spirit empowers people to speak about Jesus. We'll we'll see this next week in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit comes down on the church and the church receives the Spirit. And the very first thing that they do is begin speaking. They begin speaking in all these foreign tongues, all these foreign languages, languages they'd never learned. Now, the, the crowd's like, well, have they had a bit too much to drink? No, when you drink, you don't immediately learn a language. What's happened? The Spirit has enabled them to speak. And why are they speaking all these foreign languages? Well, because there's a great festival in Jerusalem. So people from all across the world have come to Jerusalem. And they're hearing the story of Jesus in their own native language because the Spirit has empowered them to speak. And again, in that same chapter, Peter, who a few weeks earlier denied knowing Jesus to a a young girl, like a a 12-year-old girl or something like that, was afraid to admit to knowing Jesus to a little girl, stands up in front of the crowd that, you know, a few weeks earlier killed Jesus and accuses them, you killed Jesus, don't you see who Jesus is? He was given the Spirit, he was enabled to speak. And this happens over and over and over in the book of Acts. The Spirit comes upon people, they talk about Jesus. It's not the Spirit comes upon people, they pull out their swords and start conquering. No, they speak about Jesus. Excuse me. It's kind of like the Spirit gives a superpower. The Spirit comes on, you get the super, not to fly, not like heat vision, you don't become super strong, you have the power of speaking about Jesus. It gives them the ability to do that now. And it just keeps happening all throughout Acts because that is how God builds his kingdom, through witness to Jesus. Because remember, the, the kingdom of God, the, our Christian faith is all about the relationship that we have with Jesus. How can we have a relationship unless we hear about who he is? unless we learn about him and what he's taught and what he's said, so that we might come to know him as our Lord and Saviour. So, so, of course, building the kingdom is about witness and not about conquering. It's not about having a, a territory on a map that God rules over. It's about people coming under God's rule as followers of Jesus. Not only that, but the kingdom doesn't just exist in one point on the earth. You can't point to a spot on the map and say, that's the kingdom of God. 
because actually the kingdom is to spread out to the ends of the earth. You saw it there in verse 8. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and, uh, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I used to teach kids' church and in kids' church, uh, I, I, when I was in kids' church once, I heard a talk on Acts chapter 1 from the guy giving the talk on Acts chapter 1. He came up with this really helpful acronym to help me understand the whole plot to the book of Acts and I'm going to give it to you. It's a bit kitty, but I think you'll be okay. J.J. Sadio. What does that mean? J.J. Sadio. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If you can remember J.J. Sadio, you'll, you'll understand the whole book of Acts because that is where the witness of the gospel keeps going out. It's like concentric circles. Jerusalem in the middle, then Judea and Samaria, the surrounding regions. And then from there to the ends of the earth. At the end of Acts, Paul arrives in the city of Rome. Now, it's not the ends of the earth, that's the centre of the earth, the, the centre of the earth at that time, right? And if you can get your idea to happen in Rome, if, if you can get people on board with your idea in Rome, then it is going to go out to the rest of the world. And so the book of Acts isn't to the ends of the earth, the book of Acts actually finishes in the place where the gospel is going to go out to everyone. That actually tells us something about our ministry as well. The, the book of Acts doesn't end, the gospel's gone to the end of the earth. No, it continues to do that. We continue to be witnesses to the gospel. I don't know if Australia is exactly on the opposite side of the world to the Middle East, but it's probably not far off. We still have people around us who don't know Jesus. We still need to witness to them. Jesus' ministry all through Acts is to establish his kingdom. That kingdom is to spread all across the world, even to Sydney. Jesus does his ministry through us. The way God establishes his kingdom is through me and through you. As Sarah was saying in the talk before, yes, I'm up here and I might preach and missionaries, they go overseas, but we all have a part to play in witnessing to Jesus. We all should speak about Jesus. To some extent, God has gifted us all differently and so that will look different for different people. But to some extent, we're to bear witness to the fact that Jesus is our Lord and Saviour. He died for our sin. He's risen from the dead and now he rules in heaven. And this is, what's, this is what I find astonishing about this. God, in all his infinite wisdom, in his plan for all of salvation has entrusted to us the great privilege to be witnesses. God could just zap and, and, and show people Jesus all the time, but he doesn't. He uses you and me. He uses us. It is such a great privilege to be part of this gospel work. It is a great joy and pleasure to be able to do this. Now, I think the problem is oftentimes we think it's a burden it feels like a, a really difficult job that might just not be worth doing because oh, I'm not very good at it and people are not going to listen to me and I've done it in the past and people have rejected it. But all through the book of Acts, we see that the early church has the exact opposite view. That they are filled with joy at the opportunities to speak about Jesus and they're filled with joy at the suffering they, they get because they're witnessing to Jesus. They're not joyous in the suffering. They're not like, woohoo, uh, punch me again. No, no, they're joyous because they, have, because they share in the same suffering that Jesus had. 
what a great privilege for me to suffer the same way that my Lord has suffered. What a great privilege for me to have such an impact with the gospel that people have it out for me. Now, we're not going to get stoned here in Australia. We're not going to get put in prison uh, at this point in time. You never know, things might change. We might suffer socially. We might have people not want to talk to us, uh, avoid us. We might have people taking, you know, the long way around the street when they see us coming. That's probably the extent of the suffering that we'll feel here. But even if you feel that, you can rejoice that you share in the sufferings of your Lord because you've been witnessing to Jesus. What a great joy it is that God would use us to build his kingdom. Now let's come back. We'll finish looking at uh, these uh, last few verses, verses 9 to 11. So come back with me to the book of Acts. The disciples, they've, they've been taught about the kingdom for 40 days. They ask their uh, kind of dumb question and Jesus corrects them very graciously. And then in verse 9, Jesus just disappears from their sight, raises up in front of them, disappears from their sight. Now imagine you're standing there and you're disciples and you've been listening to Jesus and he's like, you know, you're going to go all across the world, you get to do global travel and stuff like that. And as soon as he's done speaking, he just starts drifting up. You're like, what's going on? And, and he keeps going. And you're like, all right, Jesus, you coming back now? And he just keeps going and going. You're like, Jesus, we should have tried to rope around his leg or something. And he keeps going and going until he disappears behind a cloud. And your jaw's just on the floor, you're looking at the other disciples, you're like, did you know he's going to do this? Like, is he coming back? When's he coming back? What's he doing up there? The disciples must have been standing around for a while, I reckon. Long enough for Jesus to have to, not Jesus, for God to have to send some angels down to kind of, you know, guys, come on, he's not coming back, you've got a job to do. Look at verse 11. Look at what the men say as they appear to the disciples. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking at the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken up for, from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Yes, Jesus has really gone. No, he's not just chilling up in the clouds. He's gone to be in heaven, right? He's gone. His heavenly ministry has begun. But he will come back. One day he will come back. And he'll come back in the same way, which I take to mean is he's going to come in the clouds in glory. In Daniel chapter 7, we see the Son of Man coming in the clouds in glory. He was taken up into the clouds. He'll return. And that Son of Man in Daniel 7 returns to judge. And so when Jesus comes back, he's coming to judge the world. And so what they're saying now is that Jesus is in heaven now. His ministry of growing the kingdom by the Spirit, it has begun. You have a job to do and one day he will come back. At that time, there'll be no more growing the kingdom. There'll be no more witnessing. When Jesus comes back, that's it. The job is done. So stop staring up at the sky with your jaws on the floor. Get out there and start witnessing. Go and be witnesses. And so the question we started with, Jesus has gone, what now? Well, there's our answer. Jesus has gone to begin his heavenly ministry of growing the kingdom. Go and be witnesses until he returns. And so those same words are for us today. Jesus will return to judge. Until then, 
we're to get on with the job of witnessing. But here's the wonderful thing we see all throughout the book of Acts. Here's the confidence that we can have as we witness. Jesus will save people. Jesus wants to grow his kingdom. Jesus is uh, the one person who is always on about the growth of his church. You know, we might feel like, yes, we really want MCC to grow and, and we want people here to know Jesus more and we want it to, more people to come to know Jesus here. However much we want that, Jesus wants that far, far more. And so Jesus will save. He will bring people into his kingdom. He will reveal himself more and more to them. So we should expect to see fruit from our work of witnessing. We should, uh, we should witness with the expectation that, yes, some will come to believe. Right at the very end of the, gospel, of the book of Acts, when, when Paul's in Rome, he's under house arrest there, uh, which may seem like a bit of a failure, but actually he spends two years in house arrest witnessing to Jesus and people come to be saved. And so in Acts chapter 28, verse 28, the Apostle Paul says these words. He says, Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. That is, it has been sent out to the world beyond just the Jews, but all the world will now receive the gospel of Jesus. Um, Let me say that again. Uh, Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Paul's confidence there, written down in the book of Acts, has become our Bible inspired by God, so that we know these very words are true, he says, people will listen. People will listen to you as you witness. Not everyone, we'll learn that in the book of Acts, as as people suffer for witnessing, but others will listen. They will be saved. People will come to know Jesus as we go about our job of witnessing to him. And so here's the thing for us. The time is urgent. Not because we're very quickly running out of time, but because Jesus could return at any moment. We don't know when. He could return before I finish this sentence. Okay, he hasn't done that. He could return at any point. We don't know when. The the times and dates are not for us to know. They're for God to know. But Jesus will come back, which means we don't have time to pursue our own kingdom. That's what the disciples wanted. They wanted to pursue their own kingdom, the the kingdom of Israel. They wanted Israel to be restored, national Israel, and and because Jesus is the king of Israel, they had pretty cushy seats as 12 rulers over the nation. But Jesus says, no, you're not building your own kingdom. You're not building the kingdom of Israel. You're building the kingdom of God. You're building my kingdom. So spend your life building God's kingdom, not our own. Now, how do we know we're doing that? Our motivations can be all pretty muddled up inside of us. We can feel like we're we're doing so much, are we doing enough? I think one area to look at is, is our prayer. Our prayer life reflects what we love and what we want for ourselves and for the world. Does your prayer life show that you are on about the kingdom of God or does it show you're on about the kingdom of Tim or the kingdom of you? Are our prayers just focused on ourselves? Pray for our health, for our family, for our aunt's cousin's sick dog. Pray for work, for promotion, pray for holiday. What what is it? Are our prayers always focused on us and those around us? 
Because if that is all that you ever pray for, then that might indicate that you are just trying to build your own kingdom. Now, I'm not saying praying for those things is bad. Actually, God wants us to bring our our own personal needs to Him in prayer and rely on Him and trust in Him in those things. But if that's all we ever pray about, if, if in our prayer life we haven't considered God's purposes and mission in this world, then that might indicate that we are building our own kingdom. Don't build your own kingdom here. It's not worth it. We don't have time. So let me finish on this. I think the Christian life is, is wonderfully unique. There is no other life quite like the Christian life. We are called to be witnesses to the Lord Jesus. God's plan for the whole cosmos, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, is to unite things under Jesus. And God says, you get to be part of that plan. You get to be a part of the people that I'm using to bring that about. God doesn't have to use us, but he does. What an amazing privilege it is to be witnesses to Jesus, empowered by the Spirit to do it, confident that there will be fruit of it. God uses our efforts. No one else can say that. No other religion can say that. No other worldview can say that. Only Christians. And I think that's just amazingly wonderful. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for Acts chapter 1 and the way that you have shown us that our life now, while Jesus is reigning in heaven, is about building your kingdom by the power of the Spirit alongside the church. Father, help us to be building your kingdom, not our own. Father, give us great joy as we witness to you. Help us to see, take, make opportunities to witness to you. And Father, We know that you are on about building the kingdom. You are on about building your church. And so we pray that you would be doing that work here in Marsfield and all over Sydney and all of Australia and all over the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to share in communion together.